18 this morning. Praise God. Amen, amen. So glad to be here today just to be in his presence. Amen. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. Amen. I'm thankful to be in his presence. Praise God. You know, people will go to great, great measures to be in the presence of some human beings. Amen. They'll go wait for hours just to see somebody drive by. And uh, they can run around and say that they saw the presidential limousine. Because I'm guaranteeing you that's all you'll see is the car. But I've known people that have drove for miles to go do that. And that's fine if that's what you want to do. Praise God. But all we have to do is lift up our hands and begin to talk to the Lord. And we are in the presence of the King of Kings. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm glad to be in his presence. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 18, verse number one. This is the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise, go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. Praise God. Very familiar reading of Scripture to a lot of folks probably today, but amen. For a little bit this morning to preach on the subject, beaten, battered, and prepared. Beaten, battered, and prepared. Amen. If you lift your hands, ask God to have his way in this house this morning. Lord, we love you, Jesus. Lord, we're thankful for your presence that we already feel in this house, God. Lord, we're asking, God, that your perfect will would be done, Lord, through the remainder of this service. God, that you would have your way in every heart, every soul, God. Lord, we need your touch today, Jesus. Need your help today, God. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Lord, I love you. I adore you, God. You are wonderful, Jesus. You're wonderful, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. And you may be seated in Jesus' name. Praise God. A few years back, we were, amen, at a amusement park not too far from here called Still Your Dollar City. Silver Dollar City. Amen. But we were there. And uh, of course, one of the unique things about Silver Dollar City is that it's not just about rides and that sort of thing. But they have a lot of artisans that work at Silver Dollar City doing different crafts, usually old styled stuff. And they do it in old ways. And so we went into the pottery shop and there we begin to watch as a potter sat down at his wheel to make something on his wheel. And he got his clay out, this little package, and it was kind of in a block shape. And so he took it and uh, he began to, to pound on it. It was quite surprising, actually, but he began to beat that thing and he was hitting it as hard as he could. I mean, just boom, boom, and he's slamming on it. And we're just like, what in the world are you doing? And he finally, he smashed that thing until he had it in kind of a round shape, kind of into a ball. And then he picks it up, way up above his head, and just slams it down in the middle of his wheel. We're just kind of took back a little bit. And I'm sure he was doing some of it for effect. But, but he was trying to get this clay into the proper shape that he could begin to work with it. And so he slams it down in the middle of the wheel. And, 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 and it, it, was, it was surprising. I mean, he, he slammed it down hard. And, so, and then he dips his hands in water and begins to spin the wheel. And he, he would squeeze that clay and he'd squeeze it all up into a cone shape. Then he'd smash it back down. He'd squeeze it back up, smash it back down. And he did it several times over and over again. And so we're like, what are you doing? He said, well, he said, this is the way that we have to get it in the center of the wheel. We got to make sure it's right in the middle, centered, so that we can make the vest, make the vessel properly, so it won't be all lopsided or or out of balance. We got to put it right dead in the middle. So he began to squeeze that clay. He'd squeeze it together, and he'd smash up, and then he'd smash it down, up and back and forth, until he finally had that ball of clay dead centered on his wheel. 
And all of that preparation was before he even began to make the vessel. And then he began to form this vessel. And he was trying to make like a, a pitcher for like milk or juice or something. He, he began to form it and, it. and he was taking his time, of course. And he, he'd work his side up. Then he'd kind of move it back down, work it back up. And it, and it was amazing. And he had that one hand inside and the one hand on the outside as he, he would form this vessel. And he, he got it all formed up. And boy, it looked good to me. It looked really nice. And, uh, and so he begins to form the spout. And, uh, and he's working with it. And, he, and we He's been talking to us the whole time. We're grilling him with questions. And, and finally he goes, hey, guys, check this out. And he jams his finger right in the middle of it and just collapsed the whole thing back down again. And I was like, what in the world did you do that for? And he said, well, he said, you can only work it for so long, he said. And the, that spout just wasn't coming together right. And he said, it just, it just wasn't working out. And he said, you can't, if it, you get to a certain point, you just can't work it. He said, you just start over again. And so he did. You know, Jesus is our potter, and we are the clay. And sometimes he, he's got to take that block of clay, if you would, and, and there's some things we got to go through to make the clay ready for the potter to begin to shape the vessel. There's going to be some trials and some pounding, if you would, and, and beating on that clay to get the clay where God wants it to be so that he can start to form the vessel that he wants to form. It's not always a pleasant experience, but, but somehow he, he's got to do it so that he can reveal the faults and the impurities so that he can put that clay where he wants it so that it can be centered on the wheel. And, and right there in the middle of that wheel where he can work on it, uh, it takes some preparation to get the clay where God wants it to be. Amen. And, and as we read in our scripture today that the, that vessel of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. Just like that day I was at Silver Dollar City. That vessel just was not coming together the way he wanted it to. And so he lumped it down and started over. There's times in our lives when things just aren't going the way that maybe God wants them to be. We're, we're not quite developing like he would like us to do it. He, he's got to lump that clay back down together and begin to form us again. And we serve a God that is willing to do so. If we'll let ourselves stay soft and pliable in his hand. If we'll allow ourselves to stay on the potter's wheel, I'm telling you, the potter will start over again and over again and over again if we'll let him work. Hallelujah. But sometimes we get upset in that process of preparation. We get upset because we're not enjoying what life is doing to us. And unfortunately, sometimes folks begin to take it out on God. And bitterness begins to set in. That anger begins to set in. And they said, you know what? Before I came to church, I didn't laugh. This kind of stuff happened. And therefore, it's because I came to church. It's just God getting you ready. God's got something for you. And sometimes you've got to go through some trials. You've got to go through some beating, some battering. That God can make you what he wants you to be. Hallelujah, God will allow these things to come into our life. And the reason is he's preparing the clay. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, I don't want to be that kind of vessel. Well, the clay has no will of its own. The clay can't decide what kind of vessel it's going to be. The potter is who decides what the vessel's gonna be. Hallelujah. The, the potter decides. Amen. The Bible says another scripture, I, I don't have it in the list today, but it talks about how it's the, the desire of the potter can make one vessel unto honor and one to dishonor. Basically, that means. The, 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 if I understand it correctly, the, the honorable vessel is the one that's, that's put out there and it's the, it's the fancy china. Okay? And the dishonorable one is just the old coffee cup you drink out of every day. That's my interpretation of it. Hey man, sometimes you got the fancy old vessel. But it's the same kind of clay that makes the old coffee pot. The old coffee cup. That you use every day. Amen. It's the same clay. But the potter decided to make one a little finer than the other. 
The clay has no will of its own. What we have to do is submit to the potter and let the potter begin to make what he wants to make. Hallelujah. Do you understand that the only person that can see the inside of the vessel, the heart of the vessel, while it's on the wheel is the potter? You can sit there and watch a potter all day long, but all you're seeing is the outside. You don't see the inside. But that potter, when he's working on us, he can see down on the inside and he knows what he's got to do to make the inside as well as the outside. You know, those Pharisees, they looked the part. They looked good. They looked like upstanding children of God. But Jesus looked at them one day and said, you know what? You guys are like a whitewashed sepulcher. You look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. Because we can paint the outside to look just however we want it. But the potter's got to work on the inside. Whoo. You see, if the potter's not working on the inside and the outside, the vessel, it's impossible to make the walls of the vessel. Because he puts one hand on the inside and, and he pulls that clay with his hands working together. Making the inside as well as the outside. Well, praise the Lord. Sometimes those trials that we get so mad about, that's God working on the inside. God working on the inside, trying to make the outside. Hallelujah. I know I talked about Elijah a little bit on Thursday night, but we're going to talk about him again. Amen. Elijah steps on the scene in a big way. A huge introduction. The very first reading we have, the very first mention of him in Scripture was the day that he stepped out and said, It will not rain again except at my word. That's a big introduction. Of course, he had spent many days prior to that praying earnestly that it would not rain. And God honored his faith and honored his prayer. And it did not rain by the space of three years and six months. He ran and hid by the brook Cherith, and there the ravens came and fed him. Them nasty old ravens that are usually eating the dead flesh, rotting on the side of the road. They were the ones that God used to come and feed him, bringing him bread and flesh morning and evening. According to the Brown Driver Briggs Hebrew definitions, this word Cherith means cutting. Elijah was at a place where God was still having to work in his life. Sometimes we go from a high to the brook Cherith. Because God still ain't done with us. And he's still cutting. God was working on him. The brook dries up. He, pray, he, pray, he prayed there would be no rain. And so one of the results of rain is that the creek dries up. <clears throat> And all of a sudden, the brook that he was depending on is done. And so he, he couldn't go anymore. And so he was sent to the widow of Zarephath. And we read about it in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 10. It says, So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. Now, I want to tell you, this woman was in a predicament. They were in a drought, and she was out of food. She said, I'm out here picking up two sticks. I don't have enough to pick up four, five. I only need two. And I'm going to go home. I'm going to make some little cakes, and me and my son are going to eat it, and then we're going to watch each other die. I don't have anything to give you. Verse 13, Elijah said to her, fear not. Go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first. And bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. I could just picture her thinking, what is this guy thinking? I just told him that I've got enough to go home, make a couple cakes, and we're going to die. 
and he wants his first. And he's telling me not to be afraid. How can I not be afraid? I'm looking death square in the face. But then he explains himself, for thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, till the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days. The barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. God just somehow increased that meal. Every day they took from it, the next day it was there again. The oil never ran out. They just kept going back to it and back to it and back to it. Because God was still working. God had some big plans for Elijah. And because this one was willing to help Elijah, God was willing to help her. There's a lot to be said in that. You help your man of God, God's going to help you. Hallelujah. Praise God. A few days pass by and this lady's son gets sick and dies. Another blow. But Elijah prays for this child and he comes back to life. And God finally comes to Elijah and told him to show himself to Ahab. And Obadiah ran into Elijah one day. And Elijah said, I want you to go tell Ahab to meet me here. He said, you crazy? You're going to get me killed. Because he wants to kill you. And if I go to him and tell him you're going to meet him somewhere and you're not there, guess who he's killing? And Elijah said, go do it. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 17 it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Are you the one that has caused us all this trouble in Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. That's a bold statement to make to the king. He said, are you the one that troubled him? He said, no, you are in your father's house. He was bold. Hallelujah. Now therefore sin and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel. The prophets of Baal, 450. The prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together under Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him, but if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. We went over this on Thursday, but, but they, they wouldn't even answer him. They just looked at him. They, they weren't willing to step out one way or the other. They just stood there and looked at him. Here he is. He's challenging 850 prophets. And we know that Jezebel's prophets didn't even have the courage to show up. And so he faced off with the 450 prophets of Baal. And they began, he issued that challenge. He said, we're going to take two bullocks. You get one, I get one. We're going to dress it. We're going to put it on the altar. And the God that answers by fire, he will be God in Israel. He said, matter of fact, I'll even give you first opportunity. And they went all day long. They gave of themselves. They cut themselves. They, they did everything, but they couldn't get an answer from their dead God. Amen. But, but when the time of the evening sacrifice came, Elijah stopped them and said, hey, it's my turn now. And he repaired the altar. And I know I went over this on Thursday, but I'm telling you, we've got to have an altar that is repaired. We've got to have an altar that is standing upright. We've got to have an altar that's being used. We've got to have an altar that's being used consistently. Amen. The reason Israel was halting between two opinions was because they had forsaken the altar of God and they had gone out after other gods. I'm telling you today, we can't have, we can't afford to forsake the altar. We can't afford to ignore the altar. But we better be there every day, every opportunity we get to lock ourselves in our prayer closet and pull up to that altar and lay ourselves on the altar. Hallelujah. We can't get so busy that we don't take time for God. We can't get so busy that we don't have time for the altar. Hallelujah. 
I'll tell you what I know in my own life that when things get cold, it's because I'm forsaking the altar. Hallelujah, we could be at church every time the doors are open, but if the altar's forsaken, I'm telling you, you're gonna get cold spiritually, and there'll be a day you find yourself on the outside looking in because you have a forsaken altar. Hallelujah, hallelujah. What a tragedy it is to have a broke down altar. Amen, so he rebuilt the altar, he laid the sacrifice out, he prayed a simple prayer. God answered with fire. Elijah draws his sword, kills all the prophets of Baal. Told told Ahab to go eat and drink. I hear the sound of abundance of rain. So Elijah goes to the mountaintop and there begins to pray. Hallelujah. 1 Kings 18 and 42. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink. Elijah went up to the top of Carmel cast himself down upon the earth, put his face between his knees. Amen. Got down in a position of humility. Buries his face. Said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go again seven times. It came to pass the seventh time that he said, behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, go up, say unto Ahab, prepare thy chariot and get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. Size of a man's, I, I don't know if it was the shape of a man's hand, if it was a little tiny cloud. I don't know if he imagined it just to get Elijah to get, let him quit going and looking. I don't know. But he said, I see a cloud rise from the sea. And it came to pass in the meanwhile, the heaven was black with clouds and wind. And there was a great rain, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. The hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Amen. There's not a consensus of what that actually means. Some say that it means that Elijah outran Ahab's chariot. Some say that he actually ran before him in a place of honor, honoring his king and running before his horse, honoring him as king. Why? Because he's just seen tremendous victory. He's just seen God answer with fire. He's just seen those prophets, uh, those prophets of Baal wiped out. He, he's seen and prayed that God answered with rain for the first time in three and a half years. He is riding a tremendous hide. He thinks that revival's coming to Israel. So there he is running with the king thinking, man, we've got this all worked out. God's coming through. God's moving. Uh, Israel's going to turn back to God. Uh, I've seen God prove himself. Uh, and I'm believing He was on a high. And uh, 1 Kings 19, we hear the result. Verse number one says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Riding so high, and he gets that letter. Basically said, I'm telling you what My life will be gone if yours isn't dead by tomorrow. Let the gods kill me. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life. And came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said it is enough now O Lord take away my life for I am not better than my father's he had given everything he had putting his life on the line expecting this great move back towards God and instead this wicked queen 
said she was going to kill him. And he ran for his life. Crawls up under a juniper tree and said, Lord, just take my life. I am no better than my father's. I couldn't do anything. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, that an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head, and he did eat and drink and laid him down again. The angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. He was stunned. He was shocked. He was dismayed. The revival that he thought was coming instead turned into a death warrant. And then he went. This is a funny thing to me here. Here he's facing death by Jezebel and he runs for his life and then he crawls under a tree and asks God to kill him. Confused. Doesn't understand it. Took him 40 days to travel 150 miles. Normal travel time took about a week. He wandered in dismay and didn't know what was going on and why this had happened and why it worked out just the way that it did. You know, it seems like every time that we see a tremendous move of God, all of a sudden something happens there and just a few days later to knock us back under the juniper tree. When there's a tremendous move of God, you better be ready because there's going to be an attack with it. Elijah was wandering about and he went found himself a cave in 1 Kings 19 and 9. He came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. I can just see him up there mad. Righteous indignation. I'm the only one left, so I'm hiding here. Because if they kill me, there'll be nobody worshiping you, God. You see, in those big trials, one of the old tricks of the enemy is to let us think that we're all by ourselves. And this is where Elijah was. And he, speaking of God, said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. Behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Gave him the same exact answer. The Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. Jehu, the son of Nimshai, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Gave him some instructions. He said, you know what? 
You're in the cave. He said, I've got things for you to do out there. You can't do them in the cave. Your work's down there, Elijah. But then he said one more thing to him. He said in verse 18, yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel. All the knees which have not bowed unto Baal. And every mouth which hath not kissed him. He said, quit hiding in your cave, Elijah. You're not the only one. There's still 7,000 that are worshiping me. That refuse to worship Baal. You're not alone. You see, Elijah. This is, this is kind of how I see this story is that Elijah had a great plan of how he was going to turn Israel back to God. And God honored his prayers and they, 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 they saw the no rain. They saw the fire fall from heaven. But it didn't work. And sometimes our greatest plans don't work. But God is still trying to do something in us that we can do a work for him. Because he has something that he wants us to do. He said, I want you to go anoint these three men. And if you don't accomplish everything that you want to accomplish, you're going to turn over and they'll do it. But you're not doing me any good in the cave. I can't use you in the cave. I believe that when Elijah left the cave, that he left as a different man. He went and he calls Elisha. Elisha was plowing in the fields and he, he came and he cast his mantle upon him and he, he said, let me go say goodbye to my family. He said, what have I to do with thee? Do what you want to do. And he goes and he takes the oxen that he's plowing with and he kills them, dresses them, cooks them, by burning the implements of the oxen. Which is an amazing message in itself. That he burnt his bridge back to his past. And said I'm not going back. And he followed after Elijah. God used Elijah in so many ways. After that. My whole point in saying this day. Is that Elijah. Though he had that tremendous high. He was still beaten. He was battered. Because God was still preparing him for what God wanted him to be. Not everything is going to go perfect in life. We will have trials. We'll have hardships. There'll be times where it seems like everything we do just blows up in our face. And nothing works the way that we wanted it to work. And we don't understand why. It's like you feel good about something. You go do it and boom, it blows up. It's like, well, what happened there? Well, I'll try this. And it blows up. Well, you know what? God's trying to get us to a place uh, where we'll just give up and let him work on us and let him make us what he wants us to be. Because not every time that there's something I want to do, it may not be what God wants me to do. And if I want to do that, well, maybe that's not what God planned for my life. It's not the vessel he's trying to make. So he allows us to get a little beaten and a little battered because he's preparing the clay to make the vessel that he wants to make. Hallelujah. I went to my pastor when I was 16 years old and told him that I felt like God was calling me to the ministry. I thought I was going to make a divine revelation to him. I was him hauling around, and he's like, well, what do, you, what, what do you want? I said, well, I feel like God's calling me to preach. He said, oh, yeah. He said, I've known that for a while. He said, I've just been waiting for you to come talk to me. Man, I thought I was going to be revealing something. And we had a talk, and, and I went home, same person I was when I walked in his office. And he let me preach once or twice a year. Made me a youth leader at 18, which still blows my mind. Praise God. I stepped down for a couple years around the time my father passed away and went back and did it until I was 25. And then I went in there for one of those meetings again. And he told me he felt it was time for me to step out and evangelize. And he made a few phone calls for me and got me a couple revivals and sent me out on my own. 
Praise God. There were some wonderful times and there's been some not so wonderful times. There's been some struggles and there's been some blessings. And I know that by no means have I arrived yet because God is still forming me. And he's allowed me to go through some things that caused tremendous heartache because he was working on me. He was still trying to form something in me. Amen. I've been under the juniper bush. I've been the one hiding in the cave. Thinking, God, I can't take anymore. I'm just going to sit here until I die. And it's not too long before God comes and says, you know what? I didn't call you to go sit under a juniper bush. And I didn't call you to hide in a cave. And somehow i got to step up and step out. Why? Because God is letting me go through some things to prepare the clay. Amen. I know this ain't a shouting message today, but I feel it deep in my heart. You may feel like everything that you do is beating you up. Let me tell you something. Maybe it's just God trying to get your attention that he can make you what he wants you to be. Letting you go through some hard times that you can learn to lean on him and learn to depend upon him. Because in order to be fruitful, you've got to be beaten and battered sometimes. There's a tree that grows in the desert areas. It's called a smoke tree. They're usually found in dry washes, places where the occasional storms bring flash floods and Water will go raging down these washes. They give a seed that's kind of like a pod. And they land on the ground and they just lay there doing nothing. Because before they will germinate, before that will grow another tree, that has to go through a process called scarification. The seed's got to be scratched. It's got to be beaten up. It's got to be battered, that seed does, before it can germinate. The reason for this is is because the way that scarification takes place is it usually happens in a flash flood. The water comes raging down, picks the seed up. It bounces off rocks and sand, and it gets all tore up. And then when it stops, that seed begins to germinate. And the reason that God allowed this to happen, and I believe that this was the plan of God, the reason he did that is because then the ground is wet, and that plant is able to put roots down. But if it just landed on that dry soil and and germinated, it would die because there's no water there to sustain it. And sometimes in order for us to become the fruitful tree that God wants us to be, we've got to go through some scarification. Hmm. Because if we just go... It immediately becomes something we're going to burn out. But through that process, God's working and God's moving and God's changing some things. And he's working in us, trying to make us that vessel unto honor. But you don't understand what I've been through. No, we don't understand what the other one goes through. But I understand the principles of God's word. And God's trying to make something out of each and every one of us. And first Peter, Peter writing in chapter one, verse one said, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the father through sanctification of the spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you. And peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last times. What a wonderful promise. That great hope, lively hope, because of his abundant mercy, 
to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled. So we have ahead of us. Well, it's quiet. You're waiting for the hammer to drop, sounds like. Verse number six, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, and whom though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Sometimes we've got to go through those seasons, fiery trials. Amen. Because we got to go through the refining fire. You know, even once that old potter's done with that vessel, before it can be used, it's got to be sent to the oven and baked. And that fire sometimes will reveal the hidden flaws. Amen. And there's some vessels that come out of that potter's fire, if you would, that there's flaws there. And that vessel's not good for anything. Praise God. The problem, of course, at that point is that there's no going back and remaking the vessel. I want God to work on me now. Because we're going to go through that fire. Hey Amen. There's another scripture that talks about going through the fire and it's going to find out what kind of work you've got. Whether it's built of stubble and hay or gold or things that don't perish. Whatever you've built. That house you've built. It's going to be tried by fire. And if you've built out of that stubble and hay, well, needless to say, it's not going to last the fire. Praise God. God lets us go through trials maybe to reveal the hidden fault that he can reach down in that vessel and fix the fault. He allows us to be beaten sometimes because maybe he's trying to humble us to the place that we'll really learn to lean upon him. Hallelujah. I know this ain't a shouting message this morning. It's getting quieter as we go. I believe that in the day that we're living in, we can't afford to let flaws go unnoticed in our life. The fighting that we've experienced, the spiritual battles we've experienced over the last few weeks, if, I'm telling you what, if we're not prayed up, there's a danger, a big danger. When someone that's possessed of a devil walks into the church, I'm telling you, if you're not right, it's a dangerous place to be. Amen. It'd be like that one that he came and he cleaned out his vessel and, uh, and he made it. And the, the spirit that went out of him came around Roman and came back and he found the place swept and garnished but empty. So he went out and got seven others worse than himself and came in and dwelt in that vessel. And the end of that man was worse than the beginning. Let me tell you something. We're fooling ourselves if we think that we can just drift through life in the day that we're living in. We've got to make up our mind that no matter what, I'll be in the altar. No matter what, I've got to go through. God, keep working in me and make me what you want me to be. God, shape me, mold me, make me. God, if there be anything in me, if there be something hidden, something I've left undone, God, won't you reveal it that I can make it right? it doesn't matter how much beating I take how much I've got to bounce off this and bounce off that getting those scars God I want to be fruitful I want to be that tree that's fruitful whatever I've got to go through whatever I've got to feel whatever I've got to fight no matter how hard the trial God I want to be a vessel unto honor Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Chapter 4, Peter writing again. He said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Don't think it's strange when the trial comes as if you're the only one going through them. Don't think it's strange, but realize it's part of the plan. But rejoice in as much as you are partakers of Christ's suffering. That when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't think it's strange if you have to go through trial. Amen. It's just part of this walk with God. He never promised that everything would be easy. He just said, I'll be with you. Those old three Hebrew boys, as we call them, they went into the fire. They stood for righteousness. Stood for truth. Refused to disobey the commandment of God. You know, any time from that first moment they stood until they stood before Nebuchadnezzar would have been a good time for God to step in and deliver them. But I believe that God allowed them to go through this as an example unto us. Just because we do good and we're doing right doesn't mean that bad things aren't going to happen. Doesn't mean that we're not going to have to face a fiery furnace of trial. And there they would. They stood. It was so hot that the men that threw them in the fire died. And yet Nebuchadnezzar stood up astonished because he said, didn't we throw three in there? He said, yeah. He goes, well, I see four. You see, we may have to go walk through that fiery furnace, but he's not going to leave us in there alone. And you may be going through a trial this morning. May seem like over the last little while that every time you turn around, something else is happening. Let me tell you something, you're not going through it alone. But God is right beside you. He's trying to make something out of you. But you got to humble yourself and put yourself on the potter's wheel. You know, the fiery trial, the, the going through the furnace, I'm telling you right now what it will do is it will show what's right, what's false. It'll show if you're being real or if you're trying to fake your way through. Hallelujah. Because when you're standing facing that fiery trial, if you've been faking it all your life, I'm just telling you right now that God, whew, I wouldn't want to go in the fire. <laughs> Reminds me of the old west with the false fronted buildings. Boy, they looked big, looked fancy. Behind them, there wasn't much more than a shack. There's a false front. Sometimes we can put that up with God. Just a false front saying, oh God, I'll do whatever. I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to, God. And we don't really mean it. And you know what happens? All of a sudden, trial begins to take place. It's a test to see if we really mean what we say. If we're really going to allow ourselves to be on the potter's wheel. If we're really going to let God work in our hearts. You'd stand with me this morning. Hallelujah. I'm telling you the day that we're living in, we better be ready. We better be real with God. Better be honest with ourselves. Last thing that we want to do is hide things in our own heart. Try to deceive ourselves because I'm telling you, yourself is the easiest one.
you to see him. Praise God. We better be ready. When that fiery trial comes, don't think it's strange. It's just God putting some things in us. Allowing us to go through some things to prove him. That he is our God. That we'll live for him no matter what. No matter what we're feeling. No matter what we're going through. I'm not just going to serve him when things are going bad. Or when things are going good. My walk with God is consistent. No matter if I'm in the valley or the mountain, Tom, or as someone recently said, in between where we spend most of our walk with God is in between the valley and the mountain, Tom. Hallelujah. Don't think it's strange. You might feel beaten. You may feel battered. But you're just going through a process of God wanting to do something in your heart. Going through a process of just making yourself available because God's got something for you to do. But you're not going to find it in the cave. Not going to find it hidden under the juniper bush. Feeling sorry for ourselves. The only way we could do something for God is to be out fulfilling the call. Hallelujah. You say, well, he ain't called me to preach. Well, he's called you to be one of his children. There's a responsibility that comes along with being a child of God. Hallelujah. Gave us power to be witnesses. We got responsibility to be praying, fasting, reading our Bible, reaching out to others. That's, that's universal, folks. But we can't be doing that if we're hiding under the juniper bush because we're feeling sorry for ourselves. Got to realize God's trying to work. God's trying to take some rough edges off. Smooth us over and make us what God wants us to be. Hallelujah. For a few moments this morning, can we just find a place and talk to the Lord? Hallelujah. Make sure you're sitting there right in the middle of the potter's wheel. Amen. That you've yielded yourself to him. That you're not letting yourself get hard and bitter. But somehow that clay is remaining soft and pliable in the hand of that potter. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The trials, I'll tell you, they're part of life. Amen. But we can allow them to be an instrument where God is making us what he wants us to be. Hallelujah. Won't you talk to the Lord for a little while? Amen.